Welcome everyone, this is Carlos from SeedCamp, and today we're going to do something a little different. Many of you hear uh, the 20-Minute VC podcast on a weekly basis, and we know that Harry Stebbings is the host of that show, and today I'm actually flipping the table and I'm going to be doing an interview of Harry himself. Um, Harry is a 19-year-old entrepreneur. He's built this amazing brand around the 20-Minute VC, we're going to get that into a little bit, and he's also brilliant when it comes to marketing. And one of the things that we're going to conclude with today is how he has built that large audience. And so stay tuned for that. But we're going to start off with what we always do, which is the background. Now, in your case, your background is, you know, pre-entrepreneurial, pre-20-minute VC. What were you working on? Well, first, thank you so much for having me, Carlos. It's very kind of you to invite me. But what was I working on before? It's, it's not the traditional um, story for most of your guests where they will cite McKinsey and investment banks because mine was actually a limited story. So uh, like most people, I went to school, um, had a joyous time there. Um, and then I went to university. I uh, went to law school at King's in London. And, and that was really a real turning point for me um, because I saw how wrong traditional life and traditional paths were for me. Uh, I actually realized that um, it just couldn't happen. There was no way I could carry on doing that. And I also had the show at the same time. So, so taking a step back when I was 13, I watched The Social Network with uh, Jesse Eisenberg and I saw Peace Teal invest in Facebook. And I thought, that looks like a great deal. Yeah, I, you know, I really want to do that. Uh, obviously, I did best deal in venture history, uh, I'm sure. But so I saw that. And then five years later, I'd read everything I could about VC and started the 20-minute VC when I was doing my A-levels at school. Carried that through to university. Um, and then at university, it reached a scale where it was incompatible to do both together. And I figured that I had to make the choice. And I realized that I couldn't see anyone else doing what I did in terms of it would just crush me as a person. And so I made the jump and did it as a full-time uh, kind of job to segment into what I was really looking to do, which was VC. Excellent. Well, we'll get into sort of um, what that means in, in the projects you have today. But if I take a step back, you said something interesting, which was you were looking for a life that um, law did not afford you. What, what, what was that? Like, you saw obviously the, the, the movie about Facebook, but what, what did you have in mind? Um, would you, I, I know that you talked a little bit about the satisfaction of life, but maybe you can introduce kind of what your thinking was behind that. I, th I think for me, it was more the creative freedom that, that venture and startups allow. I mean, everyone says it's probably the most um, intellectually fulfilling job, but it really is, you know, you see the most diverse array of companies uh, uh, you know, it, it is the most diverse job probably in the world. Uh, luckily with the show as well, I have the most diverse array of guests. You know, I've had people from the Uber for toilets to, you know, Josh Elman at Greylock on the show. So the mass I know array. Josh as well, that's funny. Yeah, a great guy. Um, but, you know, so I've had great diversity in that respect too. But yeah, no, the intellectual curiosity from VC is something that nothing else affords. In particular, I have to say, I'm sorry to all lawyers out there, uh, the legal profession was one of the most dull uh, professions that I've managed to choose. Um, and so I, yeah, the, the choice was blatantly clear that yeah. I had to go for the intellectual curiosity. And I, you know, my biggest thing is do what you love and you never work a day in your life. Mm. That, that's kind of how I live my life. And every day I love what I do. All right. Means. So the, 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 the logic was, okay, I want to do that. Starting a podcast is a good way to get introductions and get a good way of interviewing and getting the knowledge necessary to the potentially move into the investment space mm -hmm. later. Right. And so, 
Had you done any recordings before? Had, did you have any any sort of? I've done fear absolutely no recordings, but I've been inspired by by Pat Flynn, who's a marketing um, genius. I think you call him. Uh, he started his own show, and it now turns over about three hundred k a month purely on marketing tactics alone. Um, and he is fantastic, and he inspired me to start my own show, uh, and I, I chose to do it on VC. Um, so so yeah, no. In terms of recording, no, it was a completely fresh start. I did the first one from my kitchen as an eighteen. Old and I told my mother to to please leave the house because I needed quiet. Um, and that was with Guy Kawasaki actually, um, who was, was a fantastic. Or... It was a Skype call, yeah. Um, so how did you? I mean, this is if your first interview was Guy Kawasaki. I mean, that's no joke, right? Like, uh, and I and I mean this in the most uh, humblest of ways. Like, how did you manage to go from not having any network mm. to getting Guy to agree to an interview on a? yet to exist podcast. How, how did you manage that? I mean, and also just to clarify, I had absolutely no network. N- neither of my parents had any discipline or anyone I know any discipline at the time. So Guy was completely off the bat and I basically read all his, I chose him, I did account-based marketing tactics and decided to fish with a spear and choose my target very specifically. And I chose him because he's got brilliant distribution channels, but I chose him and I saw that he had four books. I read all four books of his and then I made the first email to him, which his email is on his website, which I'm sure he'll love me for saying. Um, but his email is on his website. And so I emailed him and I said, you know, hi, Guy, uh, I'm so sorry to inconvenience you. I'm sure you get a lot of emails, but, you know, I've absolutely loved reading your book. I was so inspired by page 278 when you talked about the evolution of mobile with the rise of social. And I'm intrigued to see how that will develop with emerging platforms like VR Bitcoin will be introduced social to start a discussion with him. I tried to really get a discussion going without any ask. If I come up to you, Carlos, and ask for five pounds, you're going to say no. But if I try and be your friend first, you might give it to me in a week's time. So I tried to start a discussion with him three miles down and a great discussion going. I said, would you come on my show? I'd love to hear your thoughts more. And he said, yeah, I've so enjoyed chatting with you. I'd love to come on your show. Thank you for asking me. And once you get that big brand name, Everyone else will just go, oh, he's had Guy Kawasaki or, oh, he's had the Carlos Espinal. He mu- this must be a very reputable show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I will come on too. And that's how I got the next 10. Mm-hmm. So my biggest advice for that was go for the big win to start with, go for a big, big name. But then also from there, it's about confidence. So don't get, then go for another big win, another big win. Go for the small wins. Get, get good people who are achievable and then you can pick up your confidence. It's kind of like a sales job. It's all about the confidence. So nail the smaller ones with the big brand name that you've had and then you're building a track record for yourself like you are if you're in venture. Mm. So what, when you had the next 10 lined up, mm. did you start creating a theme? Did you start having like, did you start developing a strategy around the show or were you just still kind of in that, well, let's see, were you MVPing it or did you already start having the, elemental parts of a plan no i mean my process today is now incredibly different it's much much more professional now and much more intellectually rigorous so at the start being brutally honest you know i was an 18 year old who didn't have too much of an idea about venture you know i'd read the blogs and i'd read the po- uh, read the articles but i wasn't that insightful um and so it was mostly you know, what you look for in startups and all the generic questions which i can't stand um and so, and so, yeah, you know, now we're very, very DD heavy. I will read everything I can about you. I will listen to every show that you've done. 
I will watch you on every single TV to get the full suite of experiences that you've done. And then I want the most tailored personal content to make it really relevant. You know, if you've worked at Twitter from 10 men to 300 men, I want to talk to you about the, you know, scaling into hyper growth mode there. You know, if you haven't, then it's not relevant at all, but it needs to be so personalized. And and once you have that personalized content, it really becomes special. Hmm. All right. So the, the first 10, obviously you kind of were winging it a little bit, but one thing that you probably had to be doing pretty well was reaching out to, to the right channels. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the hacks that you, you have, but what were those original challenges? Like what, 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 what did you look for? In terms of channels. Uh, in channels, it was always about distribution. When you're small, you've got to go for strategic partners. So, you know, Guy Kawasaki was a very deliberate one. He's got 2 million Twitter followers, and that is a great platform if you have a 1,000. Uh, so so go for the strategic partners. And there's nothing wrong with riding on someone else's tailcoats until you have your own tailcoats to own. Uh, and so go for strategic partners most definitely and build the following from theirs. They will promote you. If you're doing a good product for them, I'm lucky I produce a show where I make sure that it comes off really well on them and it makes them look good. In that case, they're happy to promote it and they want to promote it. You know, we get 30 VCs pitch a week to be on the show because it's such good branding. Um, so, so yeah, absolutely. Uh, build, build the product and then, and then use other people's strategic partnerships to, hmm. to grow the audience. Hmm. And, that, does that mean that you therefore didn't use any paid channels? You didn't use any other sort of... Like, I still to this date have never used a paid channel. I fundamentally disagree with using paid channels for marketing. Mm. Uh, I think it, it's it's just not actually not necessary, mm. you know. Um, but no, never use paid channels. All about strategic partnerships. Uh, but it's a myth that if you build the product, they will come. You have to work incredibly hard on distribution. Uh, and it's it's a tough game. But, but, you know, you iterate and evolve your A-B test uh, and you, you will get there as time goes by. Mm. And when, when you started sort of going down the path of, of these channels of using other people's networks and other platforms, did you look into other forms of content or were you, just, were you saying, all right, like this is a start, but maybe I should do meerkatting or periscoping or, or was it just like, look, this, this is content? How did you... How did you sort of limit that? I mean, because you, you possibly have the, the capability of doing a lot more more content and you've limited yourself intentionally. Yeah, I mean it's it's an absolute fallacy that you you know you have to create this vast array of content because you know, me doing a blog would be a ridiculous waste of my time, partially because I have very limited writing skills, as TechCrunch will tell you. Um but but no, I mean just because you have one product, it doesn't mean you can't break it up into four. And that was always very much my thesis. You know, at the end of my show we have a quick fire round. That alone is a standalone product. I can post that onto Anchor, which is a kind of Twitter for audio, two minute segments, and and share the quick fire round. Someone can listen to that independently on its own. I might periscope the beginning and do Carlos Espinal's background and getting into VC. Mm. You know, hashtag save. Now you can even save it. Mm. I mean, that's phenomenal. Snapchat stories. You can save Snapchat stories and post them on a later site like Suster's done. I mean, Suster's an absolute hero in that respect. Mm. Um, so yeah, no, absolutely. Just because you have one product, it can always be broken up. It's like a team. It's like a you know business. Mm. You can always break it up into sales and marketing and they're independent standalone products. True. But you also have to know your audience. And one of the things that in, in this show, mm. I've taken a view that the audience is going to be people who are most likely founders, there might be some investors that are listening and there might be people who are just generally interested in startups. But generally, the, the content of the Seedcamp podcast is founder-centric as, as we are as a fund. And, you know, some of these channels that you're mentioning, 
uh, are broader. Uh, have you, do you have, are you just making a podcast for Harry and then as a consequence, people can relate to that? Or is there like an audience member in mind that you're creating and asking questions on behalf of? No, I have to be honest. I don't create for an audience and that's not a disrespect for my audience. It's purely a case of once you start listening and tailoring to an audience, you become uh, biased mm. and dependent on what people want. And then you mm. also can't create the personalized tailored content. You know, if people, if I know people want to hear this, but Carlos is mm. actually an expert, at, you know, from C to series A, mm. that might not be compatible. And then I won't be getting the best pr- content from you as a person. Mm. So, so no, I, I create for, for the guests, not for myself. I mean, I create for myself because I love it, but I create for the guest. But it, but it's very important that you have an avatar in your head of who you're creating for just to hold it back of mind. Cause for the distribution channels, you need to know where you should be looking with that avatar. Mm. You know, I, I probably have two, which is investors uh, and startup founders. Those are my most dominant segments of the market. Um, so do have an avatar in your head and you need to target what you do very specifically to them. Mm. Well, I mean, also having that avatar helps in terms of the next question, which is getting sponsorship, right? Getting mm-hmm. getting your first revenue. And in, in some ways, when you're going to to pitch for a sponsorship, you're going to have to be like, well, look, this is my audience space. This is what they buy. This is what I know that the disposable income is. Would you like to advertise? Mm-hmm. Walk us through that first awkward well, conversation you must have had. Or maybe not. Was Maybe it was somebody just reached out to you. Who knows? I have to be honest and say a very disappointing. I'd love to tell you a strategy that worked brilliantly there. I've actually never approached a sponsor. Uh, which is a very nice thing to have to happen to me. So I always remember when I got my first sponsor, you know, I was 18 and I got offered a hundred pounds for a show. And I thought that my, uh, lottery ticket had come in. Uh, and, and so, so I got offered my first sponsorship when we were very early on by a hiring company in Hong Kong, uh, called Hiring Screen. I'm sure you remember them. Uh, and, and yeah, so no, they've always approached me and, and they have since continued to approach me. But at the time, it was never about the money. It was also the key with sponsorships is once you have one, people know you're open for business. So my advice would almost be offer it to someone for free uh, before you have people offer it to you because then other people will listen and go, oh, I didn't realize they, they accepted sponsorships. Some people are very principled and, and moralistic and don't take sponsorships. You know, I'm sure see Campar. Um, we'll have a talk about that later. Um, but it, you know, so by having something there, you show that you're open for business and I would definitely recommend that. Also, like, you know, I, I helped, um, not I helped, but I mentioned product hunts live, uh, AMA sessions when they launched, uh, as a favor to, to the founders just to help them spread the word. And, and also, you know, this industry is one of give and take and the cyclical returns that they've given me as a result of helping them have been exponential increases on what I gave them. They've introduced me to countless people. So, so yeah, also always give and don't expect back immediately. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. And, and obviously it's paid off really well for you. And, you know, obviously you continue to have sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe like, uh, you can elaborate a little bit about the kinds of KPIs that are pushing now that there is a sponsorship is that does that affect the how you think about the show now that it's a revenue generator is there a sort of content curation that's driven by by that and then maybe if if you if you kind of want to elaborate on that as the advice that you've heard from many other vcs in terms of how to monetize a product that originally starts off as free but eventually has to be paid and how much you shape that product according to the demands of those who are paying Mm. Well, firstly, I think, I think, um, monetizing a product that was free is an infinitely difficult segment. I think SoundCloud will soon figure that out. Um, but, but with the show and with the sponsorships, no, I never let them alter my content. If there was any conflict ever, always stay away from it. You've got to be wholly independent. You've also got to make it different. 
you know, sponsorships are inherently the most boring thing in the world and they are an advert, which is why you've got to make it as fun as possible. So I have a passion for mojitos. Uh, anyone listening can join me for one. Uh, and I'm sponsored by a mattress company. You know, there's an obvious correlation. After 10 mojitos, I will need a mattress, Carlos. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so try and make it as funny as possible. Be different. That is the key to marketing. We live in the noisiest world and you have got to be very, very different to stand out, which is why Seuster's done so well with Snapstorms, which VC did Snapstorms. Uh, no, no, no one. Um, so, so yeah, very different. Uh, but no, never let sponsors alter your content. Stay kind of true to the mission. Mm. Well, the next step after monetizing something is obviously scaling up. And, you know, you're one guy and you're one personality and your brand is you. And But the production value is actually increasing. You know, mm. the quality, the frequency, the DD... And you've had to hire people. I mean, they're not maybe full-time, but they're at least part-time outsourced. Mm. Walk us through how to have you sourced and managed and how you manage that uh, that workflow. Mm. So going back to the, the last question on the podcast and the sponsorship, the brilliant thing also with podcasting is the scalability. You don't have to create more products to get an increased price. Mm. You just need to increase your audience. And the retentive number of listeners on a podcast is phenomenal. You write a blog post, mm. you've got to bring people there every single time. Blog posts are hard work. If you're listening to this writing blogs, I'm sorry for you. Yeah. Because if you're a podcast creator, your retentive value is huge because people get the downloads automatically. So that's phenomenal. It's like a newsletter subscriber. Um, so yes, now I finish with that rant. <laughs> what was your question? The sourcing of, the, of staff and how to the, manage your staff. How are you managing sourcing of staff? Yeah, no, absolutely. AB test is the key to that. You know, if you're doing an outsourced staffing uh, process, you can't actually have a clear and um, direct opinion of whether they will be a good or not a good employee. So you, you should actually take, you know, it'll cost more money, um, but choose a array of people, say eight people from whichever country it is or whatever online hiring platform it is. Take eight, give them all the same task, and then compare their outputs at the end. Mm-hmm. There'll be many different qualities. Once you have the best, you've now got the best person for the job. You might have spent triple the money, but but you'll have the best, and then the LTV of that for you will be much much bigger. Mm. So so definitely, and also you've got to be so clear with outsourcing. You have to be absolutely, you know, I I want it cut at twenty three point three five, not twenty three, and I want it then with this cover photo and that. Mm. Be so direct. It's like talking to toddlers in as respectful a way as possible. Mm. But they're not there, and they do need hand holding. Mm. And. Uh, to some extent, you've done this now so many times that you could effectively help somebody else create their own content marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. Pretend for a second that we were a new startup and the startup was a B2C company and would benefit greatly from a content marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. That content marketing strategy could include podcasts, but include other things. Mm-hmm. Walk, walk me through kind of knowing what you know now about conversions and content and the difficulty of blogs versus podcasts, maybe YouTube videos, Snapchats, mm-hmm. whatever. Just walk me through kind of like... Pick a random company. Pick a random. I'm, VC I'm going to pick. A, I'm going to pick a VC who I just had lunch with. I'm not going to say the name, but but they're a very young firm. They're two young VCs who founded it, and they they're I'm brilliant founders of the the fund. But they the, the key with marketing is to stay core to your actual ethos with the strategy that you go with. So they are two young founders who are embodying a young VC fund. Their their whole thing is youth and ambition. So why write blog posts? That makes absolutely no sense. Most stale and archaic way of marketing and promotion. 
So I suggested to them that they pursue a really different channel. And Snapchat actually now is pretty proliferated even within the VC scene. So you've got to go for an unproliferated area uh, and one that's still very cordial ethos. Now, despite, despite appearances, uh, VC marketing within YouTube is minimal. No one uses YouTube. It's, it's quite a lot of effort, but the paybacks are huge. And if you have the video, it's great branding value. And so I suggested to them, though, young firm, why don't you take advantage of the craze of carpool and do, you know, X carpool? Uh, you could introduce humor, comedy, personalization, and then still insert your expertise to show how valuable you will be as an investor. So the key is to, to choose a channel that's not proliferated yet uh, and where you can really show your personality. And then always stay cool to your ethos. You know, as I said, if you're, you know, if you're a highly, uh, if you're selling arts and crafts to teenagers, do not go and be on some highly unvisual written platform. You know, you should be on Instagram, you should be on Pinterest, you should be, you know, doing innovative things like that. Where even whether it's hard merchandise, hard merchandise is a brilliant marketer. You know, t-shirts. You know, I wear VC swag the whole time, as James Wise will tell you, uh, and it's a brilliant for marketing. Cost more, but brilliant. Mm. All right. Well, let's maybe look into how you use marketing uh, and how what, what platforms you use. So maybe we can either go through platform by platform and how you use it, or maybe we can just walk through kind of like the overall strategy you have. But um, whichever one you want. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think I think the main thing to think pre-marketing is just the vision first. So my vision is never you know increase revenue by X or make more money every month. My vision is always I want more ears listening to this next month and last month. And that's how you approach marketing. Uh, you've got to go in with one mission, one core goal. Uh, and so with regards to, to the marketing channels that I chose, you, you've also got to be very specific. You know, a lot, there's so many channels now that you have to hone in the ones which are effective and not and, and bin the ones that aren't. You can waste a lot of time on ones that aren't. I did on Instagram. I posted the cover art for new episodes and it was a complete waste of time because you get a hundred likes, but the conversion on the likes is nothing. I know that because I tracked it with bit.ly tracking links. And so it's a complete waste of my time. 10 minutes I could have been spending tweeting, say. Um, so, so you've also got to be very specific, very honed in on your strategy. Don't do an all, everyone. I wish to be on every channel. Choose probably three channels and go for them hammer and tongs. Uh, also choose a diverse array. You know, everyone's on Twitter, but the conversion rates on Twitter are actually really bad. You know, Guy Kawasaki has 2 million followers, but he gets 30 likes. I mean, being brutally honest, and I, I love Guy and there's no disrespect to him, that's not a great conversion at all. Like, that's terrible. Um, compared to Snapchat, where the conversion rates are incess- uh, incredibly high. I mean, they're scarily high, which is why everyone loves it. Uh, so, so yeah, so for me, uh, I chose Snapchat as a highly converting channel. Uh, Twitter is the channel that I think, sadly, well, not sadly, but you just have to be on. It's also brilliant for contacting people. You know, if you can't, some guests you can't find Guy Kawasaki's email, say, then get, you know, write a lovely tweet to them. Try and be as personalized as possible. It's great for reaching out to people. Um, and, and then, you know, Facebook is also very, very strong for, for marketing. Uh, definitely. Company pages are brilliant. You automatically going to brand ambassadors there because they like the page and so they'll see the content that comes through. So if I'm interviewing you, I will ensure that your marketing team have put it on Seedcamp because I want all the people who like Seedcamp to listen to the show. The target audience is perfect. So which, which channels then, I mean, we know that you, you've chosen Snapchat. Mm-hmm. 
you just told me Twitter is not the highest converting, so presumably you're not using. What are the ones that you're focusing on? Mm, so, so I, I'm I'm absolutely focused on Snapchat. As I said, the conversion rates are ridiculously high, and uh, and actually you can also track it very well and see how many people viewed it. Uh, you know, at what time they viewed it, when they viewed it, uh, and and that that really is valuable when they screenshot it. So for me in particular, when I do a story, say I will do the story, and then I'll see a list of people who've watched it and then I, it shows me who screenshots it. I take an Excel file, I'm a bit of a data nerd, take an Excel file and I'll name all the people that screenshotted it and that way I can easily build a list of brand advocates who are big fans of the show and I can then use uh, as uh, brand advocates and really drive them home to, to share the success of the show and try and make them spread the word. You know, brand advocates really are key to growing in the beginning. If someone, you know, someone telling you they love your product is far better than a Facebook ad. Mm. So build those brand advocates from the beginning. And Snapchat allowed me to do that by mm. seeing which one screenshotted. Uh, you can also get far more detailed analytics if you use people like Snaplytics, uh, which really allow you to hone in on the, on the metrics. It's also Mishguru. Uh, absolutely fantastic, and both of which allow you to really form a strong Snapchat strategy that's highly tailored to, to what you want it to achieve. Um, so I hone in on Snapchat. As I said, conversion rates are huge. Uh, also, just in terms of direct contact, you know, I, I can send a photo of me smiling and, you know, with a mojito. God, people think I'm an alcoholic. Uh, with a mojito. Uh, and fans love to see that. You know, it's, it's really personal. You want to see more than just the microphone and my terrible face on the cover art. So, so personalize yourself. Don't corporate, you know, don't turn into a corporate giant, I always think. Uh, yeah. and, and so yeah, double down on Snapchat. Twitter. Yeah, I don't, I don't love it, but I do use it a lot. And, you know, the, my biggest keys for Twitter is Buffer. Um, I think I've got the founder of Hootsuite coming on in a couple of weeks, so that'll probably be a mistake to say that. But, but I use Buffer avidly. So every Sunday I'll segment three hours off to do my entire social media strategy for the week. Uh, you need a mixture of inspirational quotes that I take from the show. So from this episode, it could be, I don't know, just because you have one product, it doesn't mean you shouldn't have four. Uh, or, you know, applying account-based marketing to everything, whatever it is. Uh, it's it's going to be a mixture of inspirational quotes, visual uh, appetizers like this microphone and me and you talking, uh, and try and make it as diverse as possible. But I go for about 45 a week across two channels. Uh, and also try and include as many app mentions. People write tweets and are surprised when they don't have conversions. It's like, you've got to mention people, otherwise no one will see it. And once they see it, you will share it off your platform. And that, what am I doing? I'm jumping on your tailcoats and you've got 10,000 followers. Brilliant. I've just 10x my following. Fantastic. Mm. Well done. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, you know, and also include other people. Start a conversation. You know, mm. Carlos Espinal says that seed series A is the hardest transition. What do you think at Excel at Bolton? You know, bring in other people. Then you're distributing on their channels too. It, the, you know, the the possibilities are infinite if you use it correctly. Also, never start with an at. People start with at C. You know, yeah. don't do that. That's a shocker. Uh, <laughs> hashtags you have to use. Also, you know, use viral half, uh, hashtags. You, you can tell which hashtags are trending and which aren't within your specific industries. So, so you know, always use hashtags, whatever they may be that are trending at the time. Whether it's down round, hopefully not. Or, you know, uh, A16Z. It could be anything. Uh, but that will massively increase organic growth and get you to the tailored audience that you're really looking to go to. Mm, that makes sense. And how about 
with, you mentioned a couple other platforms. Mm. Uh, you mentioned Anchor, mm. and then you also mentioned Vine earlier mm. when we were chatting offline. Yeah. Um, how do you use those platforms? I mean, it's not like I mean, I, I use Vine and it's fun, and it's you know a lot of people are become Vine stars. But like, you know, when do you define that these platforms? You know, maybe even Pinterest. What, how do you experiment with that before you like give up on it? Mm. Uh, I, I think you can very quickly tell whether it's a working platform. You know, the engagement and the feedback that you will get mm. is also once you've built a platform, one platform, uh, you can quickly and easily A-B test the other platform. Mm. So I have my show and if I want to A-B test a new platform like Anchor, like Periscope, like Meerkat, I can say, follow me on Meerkat, follow me on Anchor. Uh, and then, you know, lots of people will follow. And if the engagement isn't there straight away, you know that it's not a quickly converting. But it takes, it takes a while to build engagement, right? Like in Twitter, it takes you a while to build an audience. It takes you, all these things take time. Absolutely. So, so when, when did you, you know, say, no, I'm not using this medium? I, I, it was when I, that I was getting no engagement back. I was putting in the content and getting very little back for my, my IRR was just nothing. Uh, so, so that's, it's, I think it's easy to tell when you're talking to no mm -hmm. one. Uh, for anyone that's tweeted and got absolutely zilch mm. response, you'll, you'll know what I mean. Mm. Which I've had. Pinterest was a disaster for me in the early days. Mm. Partially because it's mostly mothers from America using it, I think. But, <laughs> and not listeners to the show. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can tell very easily. And how about like traditional mm. platforms like email newsletters? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, fantastic question. Email newsletters, uh, people say like they're dead or a lot of people I've heard have said they're dead. All these new platforms, absolutely rubbish. They're not dead at all. And I actually push all of my, uh, so I'll, I'll tell you my process. I'll reveal my secret source. All my followers on Twitter get a very personalized message from me. And this is absolutely true. Every single follower I will message independently and say how grateful I am to them for following me. And if there's anything I can do to help, not a copy and paste personalize it and build brand advocates. So get them on one platform, Twitter. Then on Twitter, I'll say, thank you so much for following me. You know, really appreciate it. I'd love to see you on Snapchat. Okay. They go, they read the message, say, fantastic. Thank you so much for the message. Brand advocate built. I've personalized it. Not a bot, not a terrible message. Never do those, by the way. Uh, and then they'll go, fantastic. I'd love to follow you on Snapchat. So then they come and follow me on Snapchat. I'm building a cohesive network. I've got them on Twitter. I've got them on Snapchat now. And then once on Snapchat, I can say, actually, I've got a beta group um, where we test new episodes out on, on our big fans of the show. Would you would you like to be involved? They say, yes, I'd love to be. What do you need from me? I say, I need your email. And then I have them hooked. I've got them on Twitter. I've got them on Snapchat. And I've got their email for the beta group. They are now enclosed within my evil sphere of influence. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and, you know, you've got to, that's it as well. Just once they're on one platform, it's not a job done. Mm. You, you know, customer success is key and build, build the cohesive network from that. So if you do follow me, expect a lovely message from me that's not done by a bot. Uh, I'll get Carlos to do it instead. Oh, <laughs> um, all right. Well, look, you've, you've clearly, you've clearly matured as a, a podcaster and as a show. And as you started off saying, uh, when we started chatting, there's more to the sort of the, the Harry plan and which involves eventually investing. Um, maybe walk us through a, a couple of things. One, what, what does the future of Harry bring? And two, you've spoken to some amazing investors. And if you had to distill down 
the three things that you're now like going to build your investment thesis on based upon those conversations, mm-hmm. what would it be? Yeah. Great question. Uh, what was the first question? Sorry. So, you know, what's next? What's, what's next, next in terms of, of yeah, your career? I, I mean, yeah. What, what's next in terms of my career? It's a brilliant question. Thank you for asking that one. Uh, so the next for me is, you know, yes, I, I started this with the goal of investing and, and all I can say is I will be investing uh, very soon, uh, which is very exciting. Um, and very nice as well that I've built such a network of mentors to advise and coach me in developing this pattern recognition. Uh, what, what would I say that I most? What's this pattern? This, this pattern that is What's the secret, what's the secret have... source? Oh, it's not secret. <laughs> like I could share, you know, the seed camp, the seed camp formula. It's, you know, we actually, Rashmi and I did a podcast. Mm-hmm. The very first podcast was we both sat down and we said what we look for in founders, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're looking for self-starters. We're looking for ambitious people. And mm-hmm. we've gone through enough founders that we can identify that. Mm-hmm. And at the pre-seed stage, that is such a determinant of success is the, the team and how they behave and how they do with problems and how well complemented they are. And all those elements mm-hmm. that we talked about in that podcast is what makes up our pre-seed uh, investment thesis. And then for seed thesis, we have other elements, you know, but this is not my, this is not my interview, so it's your interview, but that just gives you yeah. kind of a flavor for how I would express it. But I'm curious as to like, how would you distill yours? One investor told me something which I thought was very interesting. And he said, put a futuristic glance on everything. Uh, and so he said, actually don't look at the founder. And so I'm gonna be uh, very contrarian here and say, it's not about the founder, it is about the founder still, don't worry. But look at the market itself. So say we have a uh, sportswear clothing company come in and pitch to us. Will sportswear, he says, will sportswear be the same in 20 years time? Honestly, ask yourself that. If the answer is yes, never make the investment. If it can continue the way it is, then never make it. But if it will change, think then, can this person actually be the leader in this market that they say they will do? Can they carry out what they say they will do in the market that will change? So let's choose sportswear. Will it change? Yes. The integration of data and analytics into sports clothing will be an inherent part of sports clothing's future. Uh, And then think, do this team have the potential? So I actually start with the futuristic lens on the market and then I apply it to the team of do they have the growth and determination to succeed? And also, you know, I always ask them, what would you be doing if you weren't doing this? And the thing I always look for is I, I can't imagine my life without it. You know, the show now, I can't imagine my life without it. And I would hate to see anyone else be doing it instead of me. Uh, so, so market first, then team, uh, and you go from there, but always the futuristic lens. Hmm. Okay. And so, also, st- also, I'm stage agnostic, big fan. You know, companies come to you at all stages. Uh, and just because you are a seed investor does not mean you should not be making those Series A checks, uh, which is very contrarian too. Uh, and also, you know, if you're a later stage investor, you know, you should really be getting involved at the seed as, as they all are to build those relationships early on. Uh, you know, I've interviewed a lot of late stage too. And that's a definite trend that we're mm-hmm. seeing more of the Series D even trying to get in at the Series A just to build the optionality for later on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah. Excellent. Well, definitely there's a lot more insight there. And I'd be very keen on interviewing you again once you can talk more publicly about your plans for the future. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. With well, that hat on. With that hat on. Well, that would be a very interesting hat to put on. Um, but thank you so much for having me on the show, Carlos. I really appreciate it. Great. Well, until next time, guys. Bye.